You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. We can follow this message on the app. If you don't have the app, you can download on the App Store uh, or Google Apps as well, uh, Connect Community app. And uh, the message is there with some filling in the blanks. Mama Knows Best is the name of our series. We're continuing this series today. And we're going to spend the next two weeks uh, also highlighting. We're highlighting four, maybe five moms uh, this week. Because the last week, I think it will be two moms that we're going to highlight. And uh, these moms in the scripture, they, they, they had a mark. A mark on the people around them. And their motherhood... Uh, change the world, but we're not just going to focus on their motherhood. We're going to focus on their their life and their relationship with God. And I believe there's a lot for us to learn from them. And today, today we're talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus. So the title of the message and the mom today is simply Mary. Now, there's much to be said about this young mother, this young lady who welcomed and embraced the calling to raise the Son of God. It's, it's a beautiful calling, and there's definitely something holy about that calling that she had. That's why the Catholic Church calls her Holy Mary. Now, I hope not to disturb you when I say that her holiness was in, in her nature. But that her holiness was the same kind of holiness that the disciples had. She was as holy as Paul, as holy as Matthew, as holy as Peter or James. Mary was an ordinary woman who answered a holy calling. And I believe that is true in a way of every mother. Because to carry another human being inside you... Is, is not only to carry that, that human being's body, it's, it's to carry their potential. It's to carry their God-given life. It's to carry the immortality of that individual. Because as we learn from the scriptures, we're spiritual beings. And we are immortal. And all that God has placed in that individual... Motherhood is a holy endeavor. And I mean holy because it's pure. It's not sinful. It's not destructive. It's not disparaging. No matter the circumstances and no matter how godless the mother may be. One thing we know, we know that there is no doubt that that baby inside her is the most innocent and pure form of human life. That baby is a fresh wind, a fresh wind of hope, of goodness, of purity to a humanity too acquainted with despair and too acquainted with sorrow. And for a moment, when that child sees the light for the very first time, if you've had to experience that, you'll connect to this because for a moment when that child sees the light for the very first time, if we are sensible and if we're healthy human beings, if there's any humanity left in us, we will all recognize that moment for what it is. 
we will too see the light. It's a holy moment. It's purity. It's beauty. It's innocence. A new beginning. The miracle of life. Every human being born is a miracle. My wife is pregnant right now, if you couldn't tell. She didn't have a big breakfast. It's actually a baby in her womb. Inside her womb is my son. And he's going to become a man. And he's going to fulfill the call of God for his life. We declare it and we do our best to make sure that he flourishes in it. Because motherhood is a holy calling. The closer you get to God, the more you realize that. And the more you prize it. Because you recognize that the, the life inside that mother is not a collection of atoms or cells, but it's the life that comes from our Creator. And so when a child is con conceived inside a woman's, uh, woman's body, that child, that person, has the life of God and all of its potentialities. Just like you did when you were inside your mom's womb. You had all your potentialities. Everything that is about you was there written like a code. Your likes, your dislikes, your abilities, color of your hair, your stature, and the breath of God and His, and His purpose for your life. And that's why, when, 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 that's what happened to Jesus in, in, in Mary's body. And that's why when Mary walked into her cousin's home, her cousin Elizabeth said the following, filled by the Holy Spirit. She was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she said this, Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Listen, this is powerful. Mary wasn't even showing it. But she was a mother. And Jesus was just a tiny baby. But he was her Lord. At the beginning, smallest form. In my opinion, Mary was all the more a mother in that stage. Since her body was nourishing his body. Since her life was nourishing his life. She was all the more a mother. See, if a mother dies after giving birth... It's tragic, but the baby will survive. But if a mother dies before giving birth, the chances of survival in that baby, it, they're very dim. So if being a mother in the most elementary sense is to nourish the life of a child, one could make a strong case that motherhood, in that sense, begins at conception. And there, at the very first stage of Jesus' life, we see the greatest example of God's humility. That God would send His only begotten Son to be subject and dependent to this young lady in a small town in Judea. I don't know if you've ever thought of God as humble, but that's the greatest example of humility. Now, I don't want you to think that Mary was chosen at random. Just anybody could do this. Because she wasn't chosen at random. She was chosen because of her values. She was chosen because of her worldview. She was chosen because she was up to the task. And there's a reason why Mary was chosen, which is the reason Samuel was chosen, which we talked about last week. Which is the reason why David was chosen. 
See, while Jesus was entirely dependent and subject to Mary, Mary was entirely at Jesus' service. Even from the very first stage, he was her Lord. She was an ordinary girl, but she was chosen for a holy calling. And by that calling, she was sanctified. Now, how can we be like her? How can we be like Mary? Because you too have a holy calling. You have a holy calling. Now, you might think of yourself as average. You might think of yourself as a bit of a mess up, maybe even below average, ordinary. Or maybe you think of yourself as pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. However you think of yourself, I doubt that you think of yourself as holy. Not a lot of us do that. But make no mistake about it. Every single one of us, every single one of you, you have a holy calling. A holy calling. Given to you by God. Something that God has uniquely equipped you to do and to accomplish and to fulfill. Now, there's a few passages in Scripture where Mary's motherhood and Jesus' ministry intersect. And I can think of a few of them. I can think of the time when Jesus was 12 years old and Mary forgot him. I don't know if you've ever felt like a bad parent because you forgot your kid. Maybe you forgot your kid at the mall or forgot to pick up your kid. At, at school, or maybe you forgot your kid, so you needed a few minutes. Forgot it at grandma's. <laughs> Imagine being Mary. The story goes that she, she was going home with her family after spending time in Jerusalem and uh, for one of the feasts. And it took a whole day for her to realize that Jesus wasn't with her. A whole day walking. And Mary goes like, I, I feel like I forgot something. That was the original home alone. <laughs> Lost in Jerusalem. <laughs> she has to walk back. So Jesus was alone for two days. And they scout the whole city trying to find Jesus. Where is Jesus? When they finally find him, she, she, he is surprised. He looks at her and says, you should know where I am. I'm about my father's business. I'm in the temple. And that's, that was the first glimpse of his ministry. There's another example where their ministry, his ministry and her motherhood intersects, which is when Jesus was at the cross, dying for the sins of the world. And he looks at his mom and says, Mother, there's your child. Oh, and, and looks at John and says, there is your mother. Is caring for her, making sure that she's taken care of. But there's a third account in the book of John, and that's the account that I want to highlight today. Because it's, it's known as the wedding at Cana, and something happened in this interaction between Mary and Jesus that has always intrigued me. And I'm sure it, it will intrigue you too. It's the first miracle recorded. It's recorded by the the... Apostle John, and it's in 
The Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Let's read it. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not come yet. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. See, the miracle was not only significant to those familiar with the life and culture of Jesus' day, but I believe that this miracle is a metaphor, and we can draw lessons from it. And I believe that that's why the Apostle John was inspired by God to record it and why this was preserved, because there's life and wisdom for you to extract and from us to learn here. But there's a few things that we, that we can know because of the culture at that time. We can, we can, we can deduce from the passage that... Uh, there, it was probably a family friend. That's why Jesus and his mother were invited. And Jesus was invited with all his friends. So the groom or the bride or maybe both were family friends. And it's probably why Mary took the initiative to avoid the embarrassment. Because having your rind run out uh, in those days was not only an embarrassment, it was insulting. It was a sign of, of bad fortune for the couple. But let's set that aside. Let's set that aside for a moment, the fact that the wine ran out and what that meant. Let's instead for a moment focus on the interaction between Jesus and his mother. Because Mary comes to Jesus not as her son. Mary comes to Jesus as somebody who could do the impossible. She wasn't asking Jesus to go to Bevmax for a wine run. Hey, Jesus, you know where we can get some wine? She wasn't gossiping either. Jesus, you're not going to believe what just happened. The wine ran out. No. Jesus, they have no wine. It's a problem. You could do something about it. To which Jesus replies, why is that my problem? It's such, a, it's such a family moment. Why is that my problem? It's not my time yet. It's like they're having this inside conversation. I imagine eh? Jesus going like, no, no, mom, it's not my problem. But there's something about this exchange that tells me that Mary knew that Jesus could work miracles. Nobody knew, but Mary knew. Perhaps she had witnessed a private miracle. Perhaps she had seen Jesus do something. Nobody else knew that Jesus could bring the solution. Mary, though, finds Jesus to be her first resort. So Mary knew that Jesus could. But Jesus' reply was surprising. Because he basically says, not my problem. This is not my problem. He told his mother, it's not my time. I'm not going to do it. But what Mary does next is, is even more intriguing. Because she seemingly ignores his denial and tells his servants, hey, you do whatever Jesus tells you to do, okay? I find amazing that this first miracle recorded, it's embedded in such a family-like interaction. Because this could be any family. I imagine Jesus being Italian, like, Mama, non qui, non chiedermi di fare un miracolo. Se avessero finito la pasta, forse. 
It's a little joke for my Italian friends. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus just saying, no, no, not my problem. Not going to do it. But there's a powerful, powerful lesson here. One that too many people overlook in their daily lives. One that would silence everyone who has ever cursed at God. And who has ever blamed God for the evils in the world. See, it's a lesson of mutual submission. I told you in the beginning that God is humble. But did you know that God submits to you? You know that. Here's what scripture says in Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. God knocks on the door of your heart and he waits. He calls you. He speaks to you. He calls on you. But he will only come into your heart if you hear and if you answer. So you can be going through hell. You can be blaming God. How come this is my lot, God? Why me? How come am I going through this? I'm going through this. Where is God? John? Mary? Rachel? God is knocking. Scripture says that he's knocking and he's calling on you. And he will come in. If you hear and you answer. Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 19 says this. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death. Blessing and curse. Therefore choose life that you, you and your offspring may live. This is God's contract in a way. His law to his people. So what happens if you choose death? What are you going to get? Death. If you choose curses, what are you going to get? Curses. If you choose disease, what are you going to get? Disease. But here's the promise. What happens if you choose life? You get life. That's a promise. What happens if you choose blessings? You get blessings. God submits your decision. To not have him in his life. If you don't want to have him in his life, he won't barge in. If you don't want to have him in your story, he won't come in. Jesus, there's no more wine. Mom, it's not my problem. It's not my problem. My time has not come yet. Hey, listen, everyone. Do whatever he says. It's a very, very intriguing interaction, if you consider it. It's almost as though Mary is saying, son, I did my part. I knew there was no wine, and I'm the only one who knows who can bring the solution. I brought it to you. It's on you now. It's on you. Jesus was the only one who could bring the solution. And here we see that even though he said he wouldn't do it, 
He submits to his mother's request. Because the story continues. Verse 6. Now there were six stone, jar, stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up with, to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take to the master of the feast. And so they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who, draw, draw, who had drawn the wine knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serve the good wine first when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus performs the miracle, even though his mother told him not, that he told him, even though he told his mother, it was not his time. He submitted to her. But he submitted to her because she submitted to him. It was an exchange, a mutual submission. Listen, if you want to see Jesus work in your life, if you want to see God's presence igniting that holy calling on the inside of you, if you want to know God, if you want to be like him, if you want to let go of your evil ways, maybe it's a bad habit that keeps coming back and you want to let go. Maybe it's a shortcoming. You want to let go of it. Don't you expect God to do whatever you want. You have to do what he asks of you. You have to engage. You have to choose life. You have to choose love. You have to choose forgiveness. You have to choose grace. You have to choose his word. And act on it. God says, you want to receive forgiveness fully? You want to receive forgiveness wholly? Then forgive your neighbor. Do you want me to open the windows of heaven and rebuke the devourer for your sake? Tithe. Be generous. You want to see the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, great gentleness, self-control. Then you have to walk by the Spirit. You got to let go of the flesh. It's your choice. It's our choice. Now we have to know this, that at any given moment, the wine will run out. At any given moment, the wine will run out in your life. There, there will come a point and a place in your life where your resources and your sources will just not be enough. They won't be enough. For a moment, they might get you excited and they might get you engaged, but then that thrill is going to be gone. Thrill is gone. And at that moment, like Mary, you might come to God and you might say, God, the wine has run out. Joy has run out. Peace has run out. I need your help. I'm empty. I'm done. And God has every right to look at your life and say, not my problem. You bring him a problem, he can say, not my problem. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Like God was washing his hands off your life and going, whoops. Not my problem. I think it's funny when people blame God for the sins of the world. Like God should have done something. And I don't think it's funny, haha. I think like it's funny, like, really? This is, this is your thought process? There's evil in the world, and this is your thought process? 
You make all the bad decisions and you take no responsibility for it. It's God's fault. That's it. Evil in the world happens because people choose evil. It's plain and simple. The evils that people blame God for, they are not God's problem. They are our problem. Slavery, it's our problem. Racism, our problem. I just heard from our friend here today, this morning. I hadn't checked the news. Apparently, there was a shooting in Buffalo where a young man targeted a, a, a grocery store that's mostly attended and, and the customers are majority black and he was targeting them. It's horrible. It's deplorable. It's our problem. World War I and II, our problem. The Holocaust, a horrible stain in our history, our problem. The coronavirus pandemic, it looks like it might be our problem. They're still trying to figure it out. Climate change. Looks like it's our problem too. So when God says, not my problem, when Jesus says, what does that have anything to do with me? He's not saying, I won't do anything about it. He's saying, this is the fruit of a life without me. And there's nothing I can do to change it. Because I can't go back on my word. I cannot lie. And when I said that if you choose death, you will get death, that's what's happening. People are choosing death every single day. But I'm still knocking. My arms are not crossed, I'm not too far. I am close. I sent my son into the world to save the world. I have given you choices, and I call on your name every day. And if you answer, I will come into your life. If you answer, I will change your life. And if you answer, I will help you change the world. So how can we change the world? We got to do like Mary did. We have to learn from Mary. See, Mary was the only one who knew to ask Jesus. No one else knew that he could do anything. No one else knew that there was a solution right there in the party. She knew because she had seen it. She knew because she knew Jesus could work miracles. In the same way, how she brought the servants to Jesus, how she brought the problem to him, we ought to bring the problems and the people who are suffering to Jesus. We have to bring it because they might not know. So you have a family member, a friend, somebody who's going through a situation and it might not be God's problem. You might look at it and say, wow, they made a poor choice. They're reaping for it. I guess that's that. No. No. Even though it's not Jesus' problem, you can bring it to him. He welcomes it. And you can share with them and say, hey, listen, here's a solution that you might have not considered. Bring it to God. Bring it to Jesus. To you and your friends are in disarray when the wine has run out in their lives. 
We got to do what Mary did. And maybe you're here today and that might be the reality in your life. Maybe something has happened where you know it's not God's problem. You know it's your problem. It might have been a poor choice, something that you had the good intention, but you messed up, man. And now you need the solution. Here's the key. It was the key for the servants at the party. It's to get to your friends who are far from God. And it's the key for us, every single one of us who wants to choose life. We got to do what Mary told the servants to do. Do whatever he tells you. We got to come to Jesus and do whatever Jesus tells us to do. We ought to follow Jesus. Listen, this is a process of sanctification. Transformation. When we come to Jesus and we say, purify me, Lord. Make me fresh and make me new. See, there's this relationship here. And we ought to embrace this, this way that Jesus and Mary interacted. See, Mary was his mother, yet she was his servant. And Jesus was Mary's Lord, yet he was her servant. He said to himself that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but he came to serve and give his life for a ransom as a ransom for many. And I think we should aspire to have the same relationship of mutual submission that Jesus had with Mary. Luke 8, 20, 21 says this. He was told, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered to them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear of the word of God and do it. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. He wasn't disparaging his family. He was explaining the kind of relationship that we ought to have. We've got to hear the word of God and do it. Because as we serve God, as we submit to God, God will come and he will answer. And he will submit in a way to us, to our invitation. If you want to see transformation, if you want your problem to be solved, if you want to live in the fullness of God's holy purpose for your life, if you want to walk in the God-breathed purpose that He breathed into your life when you were in your mother's womb, when you, if you want to have your innocence restored, purity restored, you want to have a pure heart once again, maybe, maybe your heart goes quickly to malice. Your mind goes quickly to what's not pure. And you think, man, I'm, I'm, I'm just messed up. God can restore your purity. He can restore your innocence. If you need new wine, new birth, new life, just do what God says every single day. Make your problems his problems. Take part in this beautiful exchange that Jesus invited us, invites us to take. Your life with Jesus does not mean that you will never sin again. Life with Jesus doesn't mean that you won't mess up or that you will not have shortcomings. It just means that your sins are prepaid. He's prepaid for them. On the cross, he took your place. And, and the way that that is activated in your life is when you submit your life to Him. That's why it's called a new birth. You were born again in Him. And just like you were 
a fresh baby, a fresh wind of hope in the world. When you were held by your parents, when you were held and you were born. God's life, God's plan was in you. And maybe on the course of life, you have tough experiences. Maybe you didn't come up in the best family environment. Maybe things in the world took away part of that faith, part of that hope, and, and, and caused you to be blinded to the life of God that he breathed in you. I want to tell you today, God wants to restore you and make you fresh and anew. And the way to do that is by having a relationship with God in the same way that Mary did. Submitting to God that God may come into your life and change everything. Remember, He's knocking. He's knocking not to control you, but to allow you to live in the holy calling that He has for your life. And I believe that we are called to do that in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our lives, to transform them by the power of God. Do you receive it this morning? Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you have a prayer request, a question about faith, or would like to find out more information, visit us at connectcommunity.org. Don't forget to subscribe and share. See you next time.